We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other side of the speaker. I appreciate you tuning in. Welcome. We are just a couple days out from Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Um, this episode, of course, is brought to you by Prize Picks. So while you are uh, sitting around the table getting ready to watch uh, a clean slate of Thanksgiving football games, don't forget to go to prizepicks.com slash gold. And use promo code GOLD to uh, to lock up an entry. We'll talk about that a little later. I've got mine uh, locked and loaded. I'm ready to go. Confident, confident. Not to mention, I'm going to say this before I forget about it. Price Picks is doing a little special right now with Christian McCaffrey, where if he if he he he's listed as 0.5 yards. So if he gets one carry or one total yards, one carry or one catch for one yard, then, then he's officially uh, gone over. So. If you're going to get into Prize Picks and you haven't yet, today's a good week to do it because you've got that one entry, and uh, you know it's it's a it's an absolute freebie, so you know one of them is going to hit. So then you can kind of plan accordingly from there and and uh, and be a little bit strategical with it if you want to. You want to quote uh, who was that George W? I'm sure that's everybody's favorite around here, but I'm just he's strategery. Oh, that was Saturday Night Live's impersonation of George W. Bush, and he kept saying that he wants the chimichanga. Oh man, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna order the chimichangas. But anyways. Funny. just just good stuff don't worry i'm not talking politics come sit back down it's okay it was just a comedy skit come 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 back we'll be fine we got to get through this episode which may be on the shorter side every time i say that it ends up being a normal length but um i do have to go to a family dinner shortly and i wanted to knock this episode out sooner than later but we'll see we're rolling we're not worried about it all right, last thing that we were blessed with in the football world was probably the best primetime game that we have been gifted so far. No, the, the Jets did not play. Thank God. Man, you can tell that the NFL was totally riding on the Jets being an outstanding football team, quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers, entertaining to watch, a great defense, solid offense, and him getting hurt just... <laughs> 
how many Jets primetime games have, have we had to watch so far that have all just been horrible and killed my interest? Anyways, so Chiefs and Eagles, 49ers were undoubtedly hoping to uh, to, to have the Eagles do a little bit of their dirty work for them and, and beat the Eagles uh, in Kansas City, and they did not. The Eagles went into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs 21-17. It was an ugly game. It was a dirty game. It was raining basically an entire time. Uh, it was a gritty game. Uh, it was one of those games that you just kind of expect the Eagles to win, and they did. Um, I was uh, I was listening to Guy Haberman earlier today doing one of his little solo videos, and he he kind of had the same thing to say as, as, as I was going to say in the pod. Because 49ers... Social media, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, never fails to disappoint in people just drastically undervaluing football. Like, they watched that Chiefs and Eagles game, and they saw two teams going punch for punch, not scoring a lot of points, going back and forth, creating turnovers. Uh, you know what I mean? And it and and they took it as like oh neither of these teams are good no they're both good and guy haberman of the haberman and middlecoff podcast uh, he had the same things to say and i and i agreed with basically every take it's like it was like clockwork you got on it was, it was even happening during the game it happened the day after the game the morning after the game you had all these individuals in 49ers land 49ers twitter just going ah oh, i wasn't impressed with either of those teams both of these teams look like a win for the 49ers like, I just don't know what you're watching because not every game is going to would, – would you have been more convinced? If they if both teams would have scored 35-plus points, then all you would have said was, I'm not impressed with either team. Both their defenses suck. 49ers' defense doesn't suck. But instead, they kind of both put on this pretty even-keeled matchup where both defenses got stops. I mean, if you look at the possessions for both teams, there's just like this – equal spread of punts and points. You know, it was, it was a very well-rounded complimentary football, as they would say. Um, and I don't think that this game showed 49ersville anything that would say, Oh, we can, we can handle this squad. The 49ers haven't done anything to infer that they can easily handle either of these squads. And I do think the 49ers are on the level with either one of these teams. And I do think the 49ers can beat either the Eagles or the chiefs. But there was that game just looked like two great teams going punch for punch. Shitty weather, similar when the 49ers played the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Like for a while there, it looked like the 49ers had their number. And you're like, damn, we have never seen the Chiefs get handled like this. And then, you know, Chiefs found a way and won that game. And I didn't mean to bring that up, but the Eagles did the same thing against the Chiefs. They went into Kansas City, which is, I think last time anybody checked, the loudest stadium in the NFL. I thought they stole that from Seattle in bad weather and and beat the chiefs you know and it, and it wasn't like it came down to good players making plays jalen hurts hitting devonta smith with a massive bomb down the sideline and then doing the uh, the tush push into the end zone which is a whole another element of things but what what i saw 49ers fans doing and even 49ers media doing was just undervaluing the eagles ability to win tough games and it doesn't matter what the game looks like. It doesn't. They have the ability to push the score up to like 34 if they need to. They only needed 21 in this game, especially in the shitty weather. And the Chiefs were a good team with a solid defense too. The Chiefs' defense seems 
just as up to the task as the offense right now. I think there's something I w- might have heard Hamerman say it. The Chiefs haven't scored like a second half point in like four games. You know, that's a worrying stat, but it's neither here nor there. But it's it's just too many people are undervaluing the Eagles' way. The Eagles, they're gritty, they're tough, they're hard-nosed, they're stubborn, they're physical. And, th- you know, probably the most in- intimidating and dangerous part about the Eagles is they will convert every single third and fourth and short. Even if it's three yards, they're probably going to get it. They they could probably have, they probably have a a Tishbush slash brotherly shove for four yards. They will convert every single third and fourth and short. That means that your defense for first and second down has to do their job in making sure that they don't create a third and fourth down and short, which is incredibly difficult. It's like it's like the Eagles have an extra down, you know, because they're so confident in that play. It doesn't really matter what the game looks like if the Eagles are going to find a way to win it anyways. You know, and I'm not saying the Eagles are unbeatable. Far from it. They they haven't looked like the elite football team that they did last year. But they're still very good. They're still nine and one. They're still tough as hell, and they still have a play in their pocket that will consistently they could run that play all the way down the field now Jalen Hurts might get hurt you know that's there is there we saw with Brock Purdy not that not that it's the same show but we saw how easily easily it was for Purdy to get hurt on a quarterback sneak but I mean there's a reality where the their Eagles could do that all the way down the field I would at least like to see it once just do it over and over again now that now that you're playing with fire. They do that, and the NFL's like, all right, this is a charade. Get this off the field. But seriously, could they not go all the way down the field with it? it they might. If they're going for it on fourth down and they get three yards every time, then they're always converting. Maybe they don't get three yards, and then they have to run a real play. But it's crazy. They went an arrowhead, and they, they beat the Chiefs, period. Stop. Like, that's not – it doesn't matter what the game looked like. They went in and beat the Chiefs in arrowhead. That Like, that is enough of a show right there to say, okay, the Eagles are for real. And then you're talking about all the the stupid shit that went on after that last game when the 49ers played them and, and got whooped, you know, a, a large portion of which because they didn't have Purdy. But I thought a bunch of 49ers people misread that too. Like, yes, I get it. The odds are very low that a quarterback is going to get hit even when they're being sacked. Quarterbacks, quarterbacks get sacked all the time and don't get hurt. But – the 49ers allowed Brock Purdy to get sacked and he got hurt. It's not like he got hurt walking into the stadium, couldn't play in the game. The Eagles got past the 49ers offensive front and and sacked Purdy and it happened to hurt him. So it's, you know, and they had to listen to the whole, oh, well, you know, it would have been a different game. And it absolutely would have been a different game. Would the 49ers have won? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but. The Eagles had to hear that over and over and over and over and over. Now, in the 49ers' defense, they got asked over and over and over and over, and it was ridiculous. Like Everybody was like, 49ers just keep talking about the Eagles. And you're like, well, they keep being asked over and over and over. And I think eventually, didn't like Debo Samuel, like he just bailed out of a radio call at that one point. I can't remember exactly how it went down, but he's like, I'm out. You know, I'm out. His, his, like, his agent was like, we're good. I don't think, I don't, can't remember if that was about the Eagles. But I think it was. 
So, I mean, to me, the Eagles are the toughest team in the NFL, and they are finding ways to win tough games, and they are in the midst of an incredibly difficult schedule that, you know, they they just got past the hardest part. You know, they got by the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. 49ers couldn't do that. Anyway, I'm just looking at their schedule. They handled the Dolphins pretty easily, 31-17. That Washington Commanders game was weird. When they only won, they only beat the Cowboys by five points. So that means football mathematics tells you the 49ers are going to beat the Eagles by like 30 something points, right? Sarcasm a little bit, but they've got the Bills on Sunday. And that's where the 49ers get a significant advantage. They have to play on Thursday, which is shitty. You're hoping nobody gets hurt. And then they get 10 days till they play the Eagles, but the Eagles are playing the Buffalo Bills. Seven days before that. So the 49ers have a little bit of an extended rest, and the Eagles are coming off of what's undoubtedly going to be a good game against the Bills. And then after they play the 49ers, they've got to play the Cowboys. And then after that, the Seahawks. So the Eagles are going through a stretch right now. But in the end, I don't want to, I want to stay on this too long, but they're 9-1, and one, and they're what I would probably label the toughest team in the NFL. The 49ers haven't really had to win a game like that. Can they? Absolutely. We've seen it before. But this is also the team that absolutely handled the Cowboys and then turned it off for no reason for three games straight. Got out-muscled by the Browns, got out-muscled by the Vikings, got out-muscled by the Bengals. So it's just, you see these stupid phrases thrown around Twitter like, oh, well, neither of these teams shown me anything to, to, to worry the 49ers. And you're like, what? It was, this is what two great teams look like, butting heads over and over in shitty weather in a tightly contested game. And it's a game that the Chiefs probably should have won if you count how many times a receiver dropped a ball, including one that was in the end zone. But it was still. The Eagles found a way to win a tough game, and it's just it's idiotic to sit there and just act like you're not impressed. Like, oh, man, this dude on Twitter is not impressed, guys. And, and I'm, I, you know, I get it, but at the same time, it's, yeah, it's just a lack of an understanding of what you're watching on the field. Like, this is two very good teams, one of which, being the Eagles, has found a way to win, and they just found another way to win. And the 49ers go in there and whip ass, and damn, that will be impressive. It will be a, a getting the monkey off their back. But the Eagles have plenty of motivation to, to do the same thing they did the 49ers last year. And then they will be able to walk around saying, see, Brock Purdy didn't make a difference, did it? You know, that's it doesn't matter that they're professional athletes. They still rely on a lot of motivation from external factors, and that is going to help them a lot. And so a little bit of a pre-Eagles preview. We'll get we'll get into that. I'll probably say a lot of that again because I'm like that, but um it'll be an impressive game. I just I I just wanted to waste some time saying, look, chill out on the you're not impressed by either of these teams because they're both very good and Games like that happen when two teams are, are very good. They cancel out a lot of their their strengths and weakness type, not weaknesses, but you know what I mean. Um, unfortunately, Kyle Shanahan did confirm today that strong safety Talano Hufunga did have a, uh, a, t- a torn ACL, so he is out for the season, and they're just hoping that he can be ready for the start of next year. I mean, I, I think probably most of the off-season's off the table. What are we, mid-November? So... December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July is eight months. August, nine months. You know, it'll be close to see how much 
of the offseason program Talano Hufunga can participate in. You know, it depends. I don't know, man. These recoveries from sports injuries are getting quicker and quicker. So all eyes are on uh, rookie third-rounder Jair Brown, who came in against the Buccaneers and had one of like the wildest three-game series that we've seen. I had it up here. I wanted to... What did I do with it? I hope I didn't delete it. I didn't think so. Mm, hold on. I'm looking. I think it's not here. I had, I had, oh yeah, here he goes. No, no, that's Brandon Ayuk. I'm looking, just looking through my notes. I had this, you know. Oh yeah, okay. Got it. Jair Brown comes in. Like, first play. Gives up a 44-yarder. He was flat-footed in coverage. Didn't start getting, getting any sort of backpedal or any sort of a bail. He just, the receiver ran right by him. Gave up a 45-yarder. And then he follows that up with a Mike Evans pass breakup in the end zone on fourth down. And then he follows that up with a Cade Otten pass breakup uh, in the end zone, not on fourth down. If you if you wouldn't have bobbled it, he probably would have scored, but he did bobble it, and and Jair Brown got in there and hit him and knocked it free. And then after that, he he gets a an interception on Baker Mayfield on a deflected pass in the end zone. So it's like he comes in and has just the wildest four play series, an, an amazing three play series. And uh, and now all eyes are on him, and you best believe that the Seahawks are going to go at him in any way in shape they can. Um, I, I'm assuming the 49ers are going to do their best to use Jair Brown as if he's more of a, um, you know, kind of an in-the-box in safety, someone closer to the line of scrimmage, closer to what Talano Hufunga was used at anyways. But they could also consider, if they're worried about him, but I mean, get him out there, let him do his thing. Uh, but if they're worried about him, they could come in with, uh, with you know, with, you know, an additional linebacker. They could come in with an additional defensive back, dime and nickels, and you know, all that stuff. So uh, it doesn't necessarily seem mean that Jair Brown is the sole replacement for Talano Hufunga, and that and, and every snap that Hufunga got is now going to Jair Brown. The 49ers defense may elect to substitute that with other players, but um it'll be interesting to get him to see to to see him play cuz that was a pretty impressive series stuff like that just just happened by accident and so it'll be interesting to see what um what Jair Brown brings brings to the table you know this was kind of seemed like it was going to be like a red shirt year for him he wasn't needed right away he could sit back and learn how two talented safeties like Ufunga and Gibson do things and and now he's needed and so uh, we're going to get to see what he's got a little bit sooner than uh, than we'd anticipate so we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Um, before we get into 49ers and Seahawks, let's talk a little bit about prize picks. Like I said, okay, Christian McCaffrey's entry right now is listed as 0.5 rush plus receiving yards. So it's essentially a free entry. Okay, so I've got I locked that up, obviously. My second pick was for Brock Purdy to throw for less than 268.5 pass and rush yards. Now, he rarely rushes for more than 5 to 10 yards, so I'm just kind of using that little boost they give the pass plus rush number to kind of just give me a little bit more of a safety net there. Uh, The last time the 49ers played in Seattle, uh, he threw for 217 yards. Still two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 117 rating. Um, He threw for 217 yards. So, and I think that when you're going into Seattle, you want to hold on to the ball. You want to have these long extended drives. Now, again, the way Purdy is playing football and the way he, the connection he has with Kittle, with Ayuk, with with everybody, there's doesn't seem like a lot of danger for the 49ers in throwing the football right now. And the Seahawks pass coverage, we'll talk about that in a little bit, is not the greatest. I could easily see Purdy going over 268 yards. But um, I just think like the 49ers want to be a little bit more balanced than that. I think that the Seahawks defense doesn't offer a whole lot either way. I think the 49ers feel like they can play pretty good complimentary football. So I, I don't think they're going to need to throw that much. That one could, could easily come back and bite me, but I don't think they're going to need to throw 270 yards. You look at Brock Purdy's stats. Um, I mean, again, he threw for 217 in Seattle. Now, at Levi's, a little bit different, but let's go to Brock Purdy's 2023 games. So 268 yards. Um, just going down the list here from the season. So obviously he threw for he's thrown for more than 268 yards in the last four games. 333, 296, 365. You know, obviously that's against Cincinnati. You're losing, you've got to throw the ball. Minnesota, they're losing, they've got to throw the ball. Um, Jacksonville, they just did whatever the hell they wanted. So a little bit different, but 125, 252, 283, 310. So, I mean, now that I'm looking at it, Brock Purdy has thrown for more than 268 yards in the majority of games, but they are going into Seattle. So I still feel like the 49ers probably don't want to get into a game like that, but we'll see. Brock Purdy is just playing so good that it's like that could, that could come, come back to bite me. Uh, Debo Samuel, I think that he's going to have more than 46 receiving yards uh, against the, where's this game against Tampa Bay? Where was he at? I know he was right around there. Um, he had 63 against the, um, against Tampa Bay. And and I, even that it was relatively light usage. Um, Brandon, Ayuk just had a 156 yard game. Debo Samuel is one of those tone setters. I, I think he'd like to beat up on the Seahawks. I think Debo Samuel is going to be a little bit more involved this week. And then you have to pick somebody from another team. So I went with Tyler Lockett, and I think he's going to have more than 48 receiving yards. He's had more than 48 receiving yards in two out of the three last matchups against the 49ers. And I think he kind of represents a receiver that's a tougher cover for this 49ers defense than DK Metcalf. And obviously DK Metcalf in one play can just you know eclipse that type of numbers. But I just feel like Tyler Lockett is a little bit more of a pain in the ass for the 49ers. And again, if you look at his last last year, he had 107 yards against the Seahawks in week two. And then in week 14, he had 68 yards against the 49ers. So, And then in the playoff game, he only had 39. So 
that was the one time it was under it, but I think that he, uh, I think that he goes over 48. So those are my prize picks. And if you don't know what prize picks is, it's daily fantasy sports. You jump on, you're picking more than or less than for every single player. It just depends on what the stat is. Receiving yards, passing, rushing yards, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, sacks, punts. All It's all there. Uh, with every single team you could possibly want, pick two to six players, pick more or less, watch the winnings roll in. What I like best about prize picks is that it's just so dang easy. You can get on there and have a, an entry locked in in less than a minute. Uh, it's it really is quite simple. It's fun. You can you can wager as much as you want to or as little as you want to. The big bonus is if you get on there right now, PricePicks.com/gold and use the code gold, they're going to match up to a hundred dollars. So if you put in a hundred dollars, you're now going to have two hundred dollars. You put in seventy five, you're going to have one hundred fifty. See, I can do basic math, so I'm smart. Um, PricePicks.com. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Check it out. Use the code gold. Throw it th- shout out to your boy. Um, get in there with me. And again, this week, you get an absolute freebie with Christian McCaffrey. So make sure you're doing that. All right. 49ers versus Seahawks. I mean, this is just a matchup that I always just love looking at because it's so weird. I mean, you can even look at the 49ers history. You know, the last time they played was in the playoffs. The 49ers won 41 to 23. That is the evening that I met the one, the only, the back-to-back, the two-time Dr. Disrespect with the Google prototype scopes, with the built-in LCD, LED, 3D, Sony technology. I'm not, I feel like he needs to remove the 1080p. It does remind you, it does rhyme, but we're so far above 1080p now. The 49ers have won the last three matchups against the Seahawks. But then if you go past that, it gets ugly. And so from a 49ers perspective, loss, 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 win, loss in overtime, win in overtime, loss, 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 win. I think that's the one where Frank Gore, yep, 2013, where Frank Gore had that sick-ass run right down the middle to set the 49ers up with that last second field goal. I believe, I believe. Yeah, it was at the 49ers too. Loss, loss. And then they, then it kind of goes back and forth. But damn, 49ers are undoubtedly the better team right now. But as, as all of us know, their history with the Seahawks is a boneyard of losses. My goodness. And, you know, obviously that huge red streak of losses in there is – um, largely thanks to one Russell Wilson, uh, Mr. Unlimited, one of the cringiest videos I have ever seen, ever. It, it still haunts me to this day. I, I can never hear anybody talk about Russell Wilson without thinking Mr. Unlimited. And then, you know, his wife in the background going, what's your motivation, Russell? Oh, my God. Oh, it's, it's, it's so bad. I'm sorry. Sorry for bringing that up. So in terms of seating, let's just get back to your normal football talk here because it was like, whoa, like Rob, you can't just be randomly bringing stuff like that. The 49ers currently are the three seed at the seven and three. They are one game behind the eight and two Detroit Lions. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles remain locked in with the one seed at nine and one. So the 49ers are only two games back from the Eagles. You know, they can beat the Eagles and then they've closed that gap to one game and then they need the Eagles to drop one more somewhere. And this obviously includes the 49ers winning out, by the way. But 
You got to be in control of your own destiny, as they say. So 49ers currently own the three seed. If you're looking at looking for like a, a playoff type picture, the Seahawks are the sixth seed right now, and the 49ers would play them in the first round of this of the playoffs at Levi Stadium, very similar to last year. Uh, that's where they are now. Behind the Seahawks uh, with the seventh seed, you've got the Vikings, who are six and five, which I don't know what to, to expect of that team right now. Obviously, they just lost their last game, but you've got Marcus Dobbs back there just doing weird things, making shish happen. And uh, behind them, it's it's kind of a, I don't know, Green Bay, they're four and six. The Rams are four and six. The Falcons are four and six. The Buccaneers are four and six. Any of those teams are in contention for the seventh seed or the sixth seed if the things fall out, if the bottom falls out for Seattle. So it could get really weird, but it is important for the 49ers to stay in that third seed to possibly earn the second seed. Because if they fall to the fourth seed, you're looking at a playoff matchup against like Dallas right now, which it's fine. I'm sure the 49ers would feel great about that, but they are a more talented team than like the Saints, who are the fourth seed right now at five and five. Jesus. So it's a little weird. It's a it's a little weird. I, I it would behoove the 49ers to maintain that seating. Um the game is expected to be decent weather. I, I pulled it up here for you guys. The Lumen Field weather on Thursday, a high of 47, a low of 33, and partly cloudy. No rain expected. Um, we'll see. It is it is Seattle, so shit gets weird. Now, here's where when you start to break down the type of team that the Seahawks are. They don't exactly strike me as any type of real contender. Okay, you're going and you're looking at their you're looking at their schedule. Now they did beat Detroit in overtime. So that's a little nice little tip in their cap. They've beaten the, the Panthers, they've lost to the Rams twice. Uh, they barely beat the Commanders. They got boat raced by Baltimore. They did beat Cleveland. That's an impressive win. No doubt there. They've beaten the Cardinals, but that was before um, Kyler Murray came back. And they lost to the Bengals when they were struggling. And their point differential right now, this is kind of a shocking statistic, especially when you compare it with the 49ers. The Seahawks' point differential right now is negative two. That means they have had two more points scored against them than they have scored. Not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, just making sure y'all know what I'm talking about. The 49ers' point differential, 122. The 49ers have scored 122 more points than than their opponents while the Seahawks sit at negative two. Now, this should tell us that the 49ers are going to backhanded slap the Seahawks right out of the way. But what have I said so many damn times on this podcast in the best way, most affectionate way possible? Division games get weird. They always get weird. They're unreliable. They're outliers. They the weirdest things for the while for the longest time you had that circle of life where the Seahawks would always beat the 49ers and the 49ers would always beat the Cardinals and the Rams would always beat the Seahawks and the Cardinals would always beat the Seahawks or at least give them fits. 
But the 49ers would always beat the Cardinals and the Rams. But then sometimes the Cardinals would beat the 49ers too. Division games just get weird. There's no other way to put it. Division games just get weird. So despite the fact that the Seahawks look like a mediocre team and and their statistical output we'll get into kind of verifies that. But again, it's two teams that have faced each other twice a year for the last, I don't know how long it's been, 10, 15, 20 years. So it just gets weird, and that's the the only way I can put it. You don't need any fancy analysis. You know the 49ers are the better team. You know the 49ers should absolutely embarrass the Seahawks. They've got like a six and a half, seven point spread right now, and that's in an away game, you know. And usually the home team is kind of given three points by default. So they've had they've overcame that and then got all the way to seven. So it's it's kind of like they're they're not saying it's going to be a ten point game, but that's kind of how you can look at it if you want to. But it's just it, it gets weird. It gets weird. 49ers injuries. The 49ers had Monday off. They had yesterday off. They got to sleep in Tuesday. They're doing a late practice, which is today for me, which is Tuesday. They're doing a late practice on Tuesday, and then they're traveling Wednesday, and they're going to play Thursday. Man, what a short week. Um, Aaron Banks did return. Guard Aaron Banks did return to the lineup. Uh, he could be available against the Seahawks uh, as he recovers from that turf toe injury. That would be That would be nice for the 49ers if Aaron Banks is available because right guard, Spencer Burford is dealing with some type of knee injury. It's not serious. Kyle Shannon said if the game were on Sunday, he would he would he would be hopeful. He would probably be playing. But since it's on, since it's on Thursday, he's a little worried about it. But what that does do, if Aaron Banks does come back, that kind of frees up John Feliciano, who is doing a who has done a good job filling in for Aaron Banks to slide over in place of Spencer Burford. And I think the 49ers were already planning on kind of rotating those two, being Spencer Burford. Um, so interesting little layout there. We got to wait to see more. We got to get through a couple more injury reports. John Feliciano could still be starting for Aaron Banks at left guard. And then who knows who we get at right guard or Aaron Banks comes back and John Feliciano slides over. That's probably the best case scenario for the 49ers, but we'll see. Ray McLeod is, uh, was limited with a rib injury. Doesn't seem to be too serious. We'll see if he makes it in for, uh, for Thursday's game, the the hard part is 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 like with the Spencer Burford injury is a Thursday game just just gives you no extra time. You know, it eliminates three to four days of recovery that the 49ers just simply are not going to have. But then again, neither are the Seahawks, and the Seahawks are dealing with their own share of injuries. Now let's get into the Seahawks offense. Uh, but let's start off with injuries. Uh, obviously, at the top of the list is Geno Smith uh, injured his his throwing elbow. Um, against the Rams and their loss to the Rams. And if you watch the play, I believe it was Aaron Donald, just smacks him. But also his helmet kind of goes into his elbow and stops his throwing arm in a very similar way that Brock Purdy's elbow got injured. Now, it wasn't exactly the same because if you watch the Purdy injury, um, Hassan Reddick's arm kind of makes contact with the upper part of the the lower half of Purdy's arm from the elbow down, but that's the part that's coming forward. So it's like his arm gets hit and the rest of his elbow is allowed to come forward while his arm gets pulled backwards. And I think that's what really caused the injury. Whereas all of Geno Smith's arm just stopped as a helmet was driven into it, but it did stop. It was right in the middle of his throwing motion. Just like Purdy's injury doesn't, didn't sustain the same injury as Purdy. Obviously we would have heard about that, but um, check it out. It, it's a pretty brutal hit. He gets destroyed and his arms stop from going forward. Uh, Geno Smith said he's sore, but he is feeling a little bit better. Uh, he said it's up to the coach, but 
Um, P. Carroll did say he, he expects Geno Smith to suit up. But, I mean, that's a – does that mean he's playing? He did come – it was weird. He did come back into the game against L.A. I wish I could kind of – I should have taken a closer look at this playlist to see when he came back in. Okay, let's see. These are Matt Stafford passes. These are Geno Smith passes. Geno Smith, Geno Smith. I'm trying to see when Geno Smith was out of the game. But I'm in the second quarter, and I haven't even found a pass thrown by anybody but Geno Smith and Matt Stafford. But I should have looked at this in more detail earlier. Not a, not a huge not a huge deal. Um, in addition to Geno Smith's injury, you've also got Kenneth Walker, their starting stud uh, running back. He, I don't believe he's expected to suit up. He's got an oblique injury, and they were talking about like whether or not he would go on IR, so it seems serious. I'm assuming that he's not going to play, and if he does play, he's obviously going to be seriously hampered by an injury. Um, but yeah, Drew Locke did end up, he, Drew Locke only threw six passes and he only completed two of them. So he was for three yards. So it wasn't a huge debut. Geno Smith ended up throwing 34 passes, completing 22 of them for 64%, one touchdown, no interceptions. Um, DK Metcalf had 94 yards. Tyler Lockett had 51 yards. Uh, Jackson Smith in Jiba in Jigba. I don't know exactly how to say that name. I know that NBA just everybody just calls him JSN just to save some time when they're punching up the names. Um, so it's it's a little bit weird right from the start when it comes to the Seahawks. Is Geno Smith going to play? Um, they said he'd suit up, but does that mean that he – Pete Carroll said he's going to suit up. Does that mean he's going to play? Because you could suit him up and start Drew Locke. Uh, does it matter? I'm not sure Geno is as much – moves the needle enough to – to really matter, you know, is, is how, how close to 100% is he going to be? Is it going to be Drew Locke? Is it going to be Geno Smith? Either way, I think the 49ers should probably get her after it. If you look at the Rams' defensive stuff, they sacked Geno Smith two times total, um, and I expect the 49ers to get home a lot more often than that. And with Kenneth Walker out, they're relying on uh, Charbonnet, who, who had 15 carries for 47 yards. That's just over three yards a carry. He showed nothing that the 49ers were worried about. Um, it, there's, there's really not a whole lot of potency to the Seahawks offense, but they do have DK Metcalf and they do have Tyler Lockett, two receivers that have played the 49ers many times that know how to win against the 49ers. Um, I wish I would have pulled up. Let me get my the one game. I got like five games pulled up. The one that I should have pulled up was from last year's postseason, um, against the there we go. 49ers and Seahawks. So um, last year against the 49ers in the playoffs, DK Metcalf caught 10 passes for 136 yards. Tyler Lockett caught six for 39. Um, and and one of those plays, I believe, was uh, Charvarius Ward just giving up one deep shot to Tyler Metcalf. I think he got his eyes on the quarterback too long, if I, if I remember correctly. And that could very well happen again. I'm I'm not going to discount yards. You can't just talk about players and leave out the best plays that they did. Debo Samuel, speaking of prize picks, had six catches for 133 yards in that game. So I'm liking that pick. Uh, so to me, it's like this. Geno Smith, eh. Uh, injured Geno Smith, even more, eh. Drew Locke, hell no. But they still got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both great players, both very capable of punishing you on any given play. Um, 
Thankfully for the 49ers, they just got done playing Mike Evans and Chris Godman, two receivers that are comparable to those three. I would probably put DK Metcalf ahead of, I don't know, man. Mike Evans demands so much respect, but DK Metcalf is a different beast, especially when it comes to outright speed. But the 49ers just got done handling good receivers against, and I would, Baker Mayfield better than Geno Smith? Like, where are they in the grand scheme of quarterbacking? Maybe Geno Smith is like a couple spots ahead. Or maybe Baker Mayfield's a couple spots ahead. Does it really matter? Neither of them are that high. I would expect the 49ers to be able to handle the Seahawks offense in the same vein that they handled the Buccaneers offense. Um, Even more so if Kenneth Walker can't go because he's a talented running back. Now, when you look at the one thing that's interesting, too, is the 49ers had a decent amount of success. Well, did they? Did Charverius Ward follow DK Metcalf in this play- playoff game? Because if he did, you know, he went, I know at one point he did, and he, they almost ended up getting into a fight. DK Metcalf had a 15-yard penalty. I don't know if he followed him in this, play- this playoff matchup. If he didn't, maybe he should, because catching 10 of 13 passes for 136 yards and two touchdowns is not exactly a success by any defensive metric. So I know Charverius Ward has followed him in the past. Is he going to do it again? How confident and they are are they in Ambry Thomas? Uh, he will inevitably get matched up against Metcalf and Lockett. Um, is, is Yamador Lenore going to play in the slot again? Any one of those three uh, Seahawks receivers, especially Metcalf and Lockett, can play in the slot just fine. There, there are some matchups that the Seahawks are going to try and exploit when it comes to the 49ers secondary. But they're not seeing anything against the Seahawks that they're not going to see against other good teams. So at, at some point, the 49ers have got to find their best solution when it comes to the secondary. And having Jair Brown out there isn't going to make anything easier. But again, there are ways that the 49ers can go about this. Um, and it might not even be Jair Brown. It might be, uh, who's their third safety? Is it George Odom? I always get him confused with with a linebacker or Oren Burks. I get George Odom and Oren Burks confused all the time. I can't exactly tell you why. Just one of those weird things in my head that that I do. Uh, let's go see here. Let's go see here. Let's check this out. Let's give it a look. Perusing through the 49ers roster. Safety George Odom. There we go. Got it. Got it. Uh, you know, he's a veteran guy. He's been in the league for six years. Is he the one that's going to come in? I I, I want to say if, if Jair Brown immediately came in during the game, then it's probably going to be Jair Brown. But you just never know. And maybe they could go with an extra linebacker. Maybe they can go with an extra corner. They did get Darrell Luter back. I, I don't know that he is necessarily just ready to get thrown up into the lineup, but he's a big dude. He's six foot 190. So he, he's not exactly a small corner. Dude's absolutely jacked out of his mind. He might come in there a little bit. You've got Isaiah Oliver, who's very experienced. Not that he's necessarily performed great. But the 49ers defense has got a lot of things they can do to try and just disguise the loss of Talano Hufunga. Uh, or maybe they don't do anything. And Jair Brown just steps in there and we'll see how he does. Um, in terms of the Seahawks' offensive statistical output, and, and I want you to listen to where the 49ers rank in these statistics. Okay, In completion percentages, the Seahawks offense is 18th. The 49ers are second. The Seahawks are 11th in yards per attempt. These are passing t- statistics to start with. 11th in yards per attempt. The 49ers are in first by a lot. The 49ers complete 9.6 yards per attempt. And then it falls all the way down to 8.6. And then it slowly works its way down, like 8.1, 7.9. So the 49ers lead the league in yards per attempt by a lot. Um, The Seahawks are 14th in total passing yards. The 49ers are 8th. The Seahawks are 19th in passing touchdowns. The 49ers are 10th. 
The Seahawks are 18th in passer rating. The 49ers are first. The Seahawks are 16th in passing first down percentages. The 49ers are first. The 16th. Uh, the Seahawks are 16th in 20 plus yard gains. The 49ers are third. The Seahawks are 19th in yards per carry. The 49ers are ninth, 27th in total rushing yards. 49ers seventh and 20th in rushing touchdowns. The 49ers are fifth. The 49ers are a top 10 or top five offense in literally every offensive baseline statistic. And they're first in a lot of those categories. Um, like I was saying, in yards per attempt, they're first like by a lot, which is just crazy that this 49ers offense has just become so just impressive. <laughs> like it's it's a very good, it's a top tier NFL offense. Now we've seen them sputter and we've seen every offense sputter from time to time. But reading this and comparing the Seahawks in terms of offensive output are about as middle of the road and mediocre as it can get. 14th, 19th, 18th, 16th, 16th, 19th, 27th, 20th, 11th, 18th. Like, they are not impressive statistically in any way, shape, or form. But whenever I say this, I just think, division game. It gets weird. <laughs> All right, going on to the Seahawks uh, defense. I, I, I was I was reading a little bit about the possibility of Jamal Adams returning. I'm not sure that moves the needle at all, but I, I don't believe he's going to be back. The Seahawks are 18th in completion percentage allowed. The 49ers are 21st. So there's a comparable stat right there. It's, it's the fact that the 49ers and the Seahawks are allowing the same amount of completion percentages in the same. Neither of them great. Uh, the Seahawks are 10th in yards per attempt allowed. The 49ers are 6th. They're 18th in passing yards allowed. The 49ers are 12th. They're 18th in passing touchdowns allowed. The 49ers are 7th. They are 22nd in interceptions. The 49ers are 1st. I think the 49ers have 12 interceptions. 18th in yards per carry. 49ers are 14th. They're at 4, flat, 4 yards a carry. And the Seahawks are 25th in rushing touchdowns allowed. The 49ers are 5th. So every single Seahawks statistic, so many S's that I've got to say in a short period of time, is mediocre. The 49ers should be dominant on defense and they should be dominant on offense. This should be a 40 to 20, a 35 to 18, whatever, 18. I don't even know how you get the amount of points. I'm sure it's possible. It's, it should not be close, but I just said it about 30 seconds ago, division game, division game. You know, things just get weird, and you're in Seattle where things are just not pleasant. Now, I don't think that an environment like Seattle, it's weird to say this because I'm sure it does to an extent, but it doesn't feel like an environment like Seattle would affect Brock Purdy in the slightest. He just looks bored when he plays quarterback. He looks like he doesn't care about anything anybody else is doing. He just drops back. And here's here's something I got to say real quick. If you want to see just how Brock and I need to get him on the pod 100% this season. If you want to see just how impressive Brock Purdy is playing quarterback and just how great he is at the position, watch JTO Sullivan's breakdowns from the quarterback school on YouTube. This is not Purdy playing just taking exactly what the offense is giving him. At least half of Purdy's throws are thrown with just this insane amount of anticipation where Ayuk or Samuel's barely getting into their breaks. They're still breaking down. They're still moving. And he's throwing the ball. Like, 
the amount of impressive throws that are highlighted in GTO Sullivan's YouTube channel are, you've got to check it out. You've got to check it out. Sorry, I almost feel like I smell smoke, but I think we're all right. He just does a great job of highlighting it, just how high of a level level Purdy is playing at. It's, It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But, so again, the 49ers statistically should have no, or just based on what we've seen, you can watch the games, you can look at the games in, in more detailed statistics, but the 49ers or the Seahawks just present nothing the 49ers shouldn't absolutely handle. But it's it's still hard for me to give the 49ers this much confidence after they just completely shat the bed for three weeks straight. Now they look great against Jacksonville. They look solid against Tampa Bay. Are they going to look great against the Seahawks? They should. Again, a negative two-point differential. The Seahawks have a, have had more points put on them than they've scored. The 49ers are on the completely other end of the scale, third in the NFL with 122 points to their name over their opponents. This should not be close, but say it with me, division game. They get weird. We'll see. But if the 49ers want to even give themselves a glimmer of hope at a number one seed, and if they want to stay ahead of the Seahawks in the NFC West, they've got to beat them, and they've got to beat them twice. It's just the way it is. Uh, you know, there isn't there isn't really any the 49ers with that three game losing streak uh, haven't left haven't left themselves any room for error. They back themselves up into a corner, which is maybe the way they like it. They seem like they do it every year, and they usually respond pretty well. But we'll see. Now they've got a short week. They've got limited practice. They've got to go into Seattle, and they've uh, and they've got to get it done. Thank you for listening to Striking Gold. I appreciate everybody. A little bit shorter of an episode, but still right around normal. So every time I say that, the streak continues. i got to start counting it. Um, I am going to go eat uh, dinner with my uh, my in-laws. I'm looking forward to it. Real nice steakhouse. Um, if you've traveled through California uh, or down the 99, you would, you, would, you would have seen Cattleman's. I believe that's where we're going. So um, come join. Come say what's up. But anyways, y'all know what I'm saying. Uh, I will not talk to you until I guess I will talk to you on Thanksgiving because the 49ers play on Thanksgiving. We will be doing takeaway time on Thanksgiving. So I will talk to you uh, before Thanksgiving. Um, It will likely be after most of the the festivities. So enjoy your time with your family. If you are spending it with them, I hope you are. Um, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and I will still talk to you on Thanksgiving. Do not forget about takeaway time. Be ready for that tweet. Jump in there. Be a part of the podcast. I appreciate everybody. You already know what it is. For another episode, I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold, and we're signing out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.